Amen, and good morning. Man, it's great to see you all. You're probably wondering, who is this guy? I'm Greg Anderson, and my wife, Delene, is sitting in the back, back there. We live in Bryan, Texas. I finished up my work as the lead minister at the A&M Church of Christ back in May of this year. And beginning the 1st of June, began work with Hope Network Ministries. Lynn Anderson may be a name that's familiar to some of you in the audience. Lynn founded Hope Network 25 years ago. He and I are not blood related, but I claim him as my brother in the Lord. And uh, so grateful for his mentoring and coaching and tutelage over the years. And so I currently am with uh, Hope Network Ministries as one of the co-leaders and also work with Interim Ministry Partners, which is one of our ministries under the Hope Network umbrella. So over the next several weeks, I'm going to be in a coaching relationship with your search team. And if everything goes according to schedule, we'll be sharing hopefully some sermons with you on Sunday mornings beginning in February. I'm currently flying out to Mesa, Arizona Uh, almost every Sunday and working with the Mesa Church to help them find their next preaching minister. And um, so it's kind of intriguing. The very first Sunday or the very first Saturday, I stepped off the plane out there. It was 118 degrees. And people kept saying, well, it's a dry heat. And I'm saying, I don't care. It's 118 degrees. And I literally thought I was going to melt. But it's gotten a lot better in the last couple of weeks for sure. I'm really excited to be here with you and to be part of this journey with you. Um, We'll be talking a whole lot more over the next several weeks about what you can expect in this transition. We are not starting anew. We're basically starting midstream. Uh, Several of your search team um, members and your shepherds have been doing quite a bit of pre-work. Really, I'm just coming alongside to help kind of nudge and steer and coach and guide a little bit as we continue the process. Okay, I want us to dive into the Word this morning. And I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 12. I believe if every believer would read Romans chapter 12 once a day, that we would all be in a much better place. This is an incredible passage of scripture. I really believe that we'll go into a season of transition, that this is one of those passages that we should read over and over and over again to remind us what being a disciple of Jesus looks like, lived out behaviorally, in the body of Christ, but also as we interact with our family members and neighbors, our friends, our coworkers who may not know the Lord, but hopefully and prayerfully as we live out what we see in this text, will at a minimum be interested in why we live the way that we do and why we make the choices that we make and why we follow the Lord that we follow and they'll want to know more. And that will open the door for an opportunity for us to have a conversation that starts with something like this. Wow, I'm really glad you asked, right? So what I want to do today is uh, just kind of frame uh, Romans 12 with a, a question, and that is, as you think about your church's future, 
How do you live into a healthy future? How do you live into a healthy future as a church? And I believe with all my heart that, of course, all of Scripture helps us understand that. But Romans 12 so beautifully crystallizes it. And it gives us a go-to passage again and again and again over the next several weeks as we cry out to God to lead us, to fill us as a congregation with wisdom and discernment so that you will be able to move into the healthy future that I know God has planned for you as a community of faith here. So let's go ahead and dive right into the text. I'm going to start reading in verse 9. I would love to read the entire chapter and break it down this morning, but we don't, don't have time to do that. So I just want to start in verse 9. Paul writes, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless, don't curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud. But be willing to associate with people of low position. Oh, and by the way, don't be conceited. Do not repay evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone if it's possible. As far as it depends on you. Live at peace with everyone. And do not take revenge, my dear friends. But leave room for God's wrath, for it's written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, well, get him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. It's a strange phrase, isn't it? heat burning coals on his head. It basically means you're going to make him so frustrated, he's going to just say, why are you so weird? <laughs> why are you so strange that I'm just being such a jerk, but you just keep being so kind? What's that all about? It's an opportunity for us to live out what Paul describes here. Because if we don't, well, here's the trajectory don't be overcome by evil. Instead, overcome evil with good. Now, anytime I preach a text, I always like to talk about the context. So what's going on here? Well, if you look at the first 11 chapters of Romans, it is a profoundly and deeply theological book. Uh, there are some extremely hard truths to understand as we learn about the nature of God and, the, and the, the, the story of God as Paul unfolds in these first 11 chapters of Romans. But in chapter 12, there's this really interesting shift that takes place. And basically, he gets really super practical. All that theology I've written about, 
all the relationship dynamics that I've written about, relationships with God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, relationships that you share with one another, all those things I've talked about. Well, this is what it looks like lived out behaviorally in the body of Christ. So if we were to back up just a little bit, he couches all that we've just read in this understanding of spiritual gifts. And you can go back and read that a little bit later on, perhaps in your personal study this week. But if we look in verses 3 through 13, we see that Paul uses this very intriguing word. It's, it's a word called charismata. It's in relationship to the gifts that he's using here or speaking about here. We get our word charismatic, right, uh, from this particular Greek word. Uh, Joel Green, who's one of my favorite authors uh, has some intriguing insight here. He says, Paul's use of this Greek word charismata in Romans 12, 6 through 8, when he's talking about spiritual gifts, it's not meant to indicate a new class of entities as in unique spiritual gifts, but the point is simply that the church, as Israel before it, if you go back to chapter 11, receives God's graciously bestowed benefits and signs of divine favor and should do that which God has enabled responsibly and wholeheartedly. Again, I think if we can kind of simplify what he just says here, church, what we're going to talk about this morning is what it looks like lived out in a community of faith as God equips each one of you to be the hands and feet of Jesus. So a few of the truths that I want us to focus on and I believe if you will live into what we learn here this morning, over the next many weeks, as we're in this search process together, I believe God's going to do some really amazing things here. He already has. He already is. I think he's going to continue to do some really amazing things. So one of the first truths that we see here in Romans chapter 12 is verse 9 when Paul says, love must be sincere. Love must be sincere. In this passage, in this verse, love is from the Greek word agape. And this is probably a word that you've heard before, probably a sermon that you've heard before. But agape love is what type of love? You tell me, what type of love is agape love? It's okay to talk in church. What, what is it? Uh, unconditional. Thank you. Agape love is unconditional love. And the only way to have agape love is for it to be genuine, for it to be sincere. Otherwise, it's not agape love, right? Agape love is I love you no matter what. So the descriptive term that Paul says here is that your love, your, your unconditional love, it has to be sincere. And he uses this really cool Greek word. I actually just love to say it. On hypocritas. On hypocritas. Isn't that a cool word? I almost want to name a, a pet that. Uh, you know, it's just kind of, a, kind of a cool way it rolls off the tongue. But, but hypocritas, you probably hear an English word in there, right? Hypocritical. Hypocrite. You hear that? You hear that in the word? So... An Hippocrates has ties to the theater. In Paul's day, there weren't a lot of female actors, if any, so a lot of times the men would wear masks or they would wear costumes, right, as they were on stage playing their roles. And so if we think about this tie that this word has to the theater, it literally means, Paul literally says here, don't wear a mask. Don't wear a mask. When you're loving one another, don't pretend. Don't put up a facade. Don't hide 
what's really happening in your life. Another way to think about this term is don't be hypocritical. Don't be an actor on a stage pretending to be somebody that you're not. Just be real with one another. And I think this is really profound implications on how you and I interact with one another. In this place, here in the church, in the body of Christ, you should be free of pretense. Openness and honesty, transparency should be very normal for your conversations with one another. We should never lie to one another, ever. Even if the truth hurts, we should always tell the truth. One of my favorite authors is James Bryan Smith, and he writes in The Good and Beautiful Life how kingdom living, like the type of living that Paul describes here, how it can cure lying or how it can cure us not being completely open and honest with one another. This is what he writes. He says, people who dwell in the kingdom of heaven will find lying less and less a part of their lives. That's because the kingdom addresses all of the reasons that we give for lying. First, in the life with God, that's the kingdom, we can let go of our fears. We don't need to fear what will happen as long as we're living under his rule and under his reign. Telling the truth may cause discomfort or embarrassment, but we live with a God who protects us and provides for us. If we choose to lie, we are not in harmony with the kingdom. And losing that is much worse than the consequences of telling the truth. Amen? So how is this manifested in the body of Christ? Paul says your love must be sincere. Paul says take off your masks. But then there's this interesting shift in the text. Because in verse 10 he says, be devoted to one another in love. Well, Paul, didn't you just say that? Didn't you just say love one another? And now you're saying again, be devoted to one another in love? Well, yes, he says it twice. But here's the cool thing in the Greek text is two different words for love. In verse 10, it is the Greek word Philadelphia. And Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love, right? Or at least it used to be. I'm not sure about how it works out these days, but it means the city of brotherly love. And so it's the same Greek word. It actually says Philadelphia in the text. And the root of that word is philos. And this is what it means. It means a friend, someone who is dearly loved. We could use the word prized in a personal, intimate way, a trusted confidant held dear in a close bond of personal affection. Isn't that a beautiful definition? That's the kind of love that Paul calls the church to express to one another. So if you put verse 9, love must be sincere, and you couple it with verse 10, where Paul says, love one another as, as, as brothers, as sisters, there's this beautiful literal translation that we can put in play this morning that I just think could be the mantra of, of any congregation in the world, or at least it should be. And, and it's, it's simply this, 
take off your masks and prize one another. Take off your masks and prize one another. Isn't that beautiful? Anybody in the room ever have a struggle? Anybody? I'm going to have a, I'm going to say most of us probably could say yes. Sometimes the struggles come and we have a bad day. Sometimes we have a tough week. Anybody had a tough decade? Uh, can we get, a, get an amen on that, right? So uh, when we're together, to be able to be completely open and completely honest with our joys, with our fears, with our struggles, we think, we think, this is what Satan tries to convince us of. We think that if we are open, if we are honest, we will be rejected. But you know what I've discovered 99 times out of 100? If we are honest and if we are open, we actually are drawn closer to one another. And I hope and pray that you've experienced that as well. Let's dig a little bit deeper, see what this looks like, and see what Satan tries to do to get into the mix to keep us from taking off our masks and prizing one another. I don't think it's a mistake that between these two phrases, between take off your mask and prize one another, there is a, um, a, two, a two-pronged encouragement to hate what is evil and to cling to what is good. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. The text literally says to shrink from the evil. Shrink, shrink away from the evil. Every time I read that, I think about the Wicked Witch of the West after Dorothy threw the water, you know, and she's, she's just kind of shrinking, shrinking into nothingness, right? So, so shrink away from the evil. Run from it. Stay away from it. Cleave to the good. Cleave to the good. Now, this is really fascinating because when we wear masks, it blocks our ability to hate what is evil. Because evil becomes more of a norm. Because if we're being hypocritical, pretending to be something that we're not, that in and of itself is an evil act. So if we're willing to stick our toe in that water, then we may be willing to stick our toe in other waters. Not being open and honest with one another, well, that's actually a worldly response. It's not a godly response. That kind of posture communicates, hey, I can, I can do this on my own. I don't, I don't need God. But let me ask you a couple of questions. What is good? God is good. Who are we called to cling to? God. How has God manifested himself on earth? In his son, Jesus Christ. And how did Jesus manifest himself on earth? Through the church. So... Brothers and sisters, when we cleave to the good and we model that by cleaving to one another, we actually model one of the most ancient meanings of this word, which means to live in covenant with one another. Not through our willpower, not through our own devices, not through our own talents and gifts, but but through 
the blood of our blessed Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Honoring one another above yourselves, it expands that idea of what living in covenant with one another looks like. And if you have time, go back to Romans 7 and read that beautiful chapter. In those verses, Paul describes our release from the written code, our new life in the spirit. It's just beautiful. And I think it's important for us to remember that it's, it's, never, it's never fully been about and, and now, most certainly in Christ, it is not about focusing more energies on institution than we do one another. And I just want to ask you one quick question. Can you imagine how different the world would be if we had fought less and loved more? Can you imagine how different the world would be? So with this covenant theology that's really at the heart of this section, Paul continues his message. And it's a message I encourage you individually and collectively to read and study again and again and again during this season of transition. I love what Paul says next here in verse 11, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. If you look at the original text, it literally says in zeal, not slothful, in spirit burning, the Lord serving. So when I read this, there's several images that pop into our minds. What do you hear when you read the word slothful? What do you see? Do you have an image that pops into your head when you hear or see slothful? Uh, I think of the animal which is actually named uh, after the, the word. I think of a sloth. Um, sloth is literally slow plus the suffix, okay? That's, uh, that's literally what it, what it is. And, 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 it, and it means reluctance to work or make an effort. Reluctance to work or make an effort. Can you think of one word that summarizes that? Somebody who's reluctant to work, they are just plain old lazy. Yeah. Yeah. So Paul basically says, don't be lazy. Don't be lazy. Instead, he says, I want you to be a church, not a church filled with sloths, but I want you to be a church that is like this, a church that is on fire. And being on fire means being a people who are a people who are fervent or people who are of passionate spirit. And one of the things that we have to understand, and this is sometimes hard for us to get our head around, it's not a phenomenon of willpower. I can't make myself be fervent or, or, or make myself be more spiritual. I can't you know, grip, the, grip the table tighter and, and hope that that makes me more spiritual. And it's not the responsibility of the staff. One of the mistakes that I sometimes encounter when I visit with churches who are looking for their next minister, we just, we really need somebody who's dynamic. We really need somebody who's going to draw people here. No, what you really need is to love Jesus Christ with all of your hearts. Let the spirit do the drawing of people. A gifted communicator, well, that's just icing on the cake, right? What he's talking about here is not willpower. It's not the responsibility of a staff person. Um, it's not simply trying to fire people up. 
What he's describing here is you, believer, you, disciple of Jesus, you stay plugged in to the life-giving power of Jesus Christ. Notice what he says, never be lacking in zeal, keep your spiritual server serving the Lord. Serving the Lord, that's one of the key pathways that makes us people of spiritual fervor. How do we do that? Well, there's lots of ways that we serve the Lord. But in this passage, Paul describes it by A, serving one another, that's those in the body of Christ, and serving those who are outside of the family of God. Reading the text again, he describes it this way, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality, bless those who persecute you, bless and don't curse, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, live in harmony with one another and don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position, don't be conceited. Now, these verses are obviously applicable to those inside the body of Christ and those outside. But as we shift beyond this idea of loving one another and encouraging one another, Paul seems to, to really focus attention on those who were outside the body of Christ. So one of the things I think that he wants us to understand here is that we keep our spiritual fervor by blessing those who persecute us, blessing and not cursing and choosing to live our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit as Paul outlines here. He says very plainly, don't repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone and if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Did you notice that Paul revisits evil here again? He knows how easy, I think, it is for us to default to our human tendencies. Rightness is not meant as by living this way you will earn favor with God. Rightness here echoes the previous message of take off your masks. Be careful. Be careful to be real. Realness allows us to not have to worry about covering our tracks. Keeping up with what we've told different people. Getting caught in a lie, etc. Living unmasked positions us to live at peace with everyone and it doesn't mean that people you know will make or not make unwise choices even if we make wise choices but it does mean that people within our circle of influence will hopefully prayerfully First and foremost, always see Christ in us. Paul closes this section by noting, don't take revenge. Just leave room. God's, God's got that. He'll take care of that. Matter of fact, it's written. It's mine to avenge. I'll repay, says the Lord. Followers of Jesus don't have to worry about revenge. 
I'm going to get you back. It's not even a phrase in our vocabulary. Sabotage is never our aim. And so I would say regardless of the context, whatever it is, take the energies that you might use to get back at someone. And instead of using energies to plot their demise, just pray for them. Show them that living a life of integrity is more important to you than burning bridges. If we believe in God, then we must trust the promises of God. And here God says, you focus on me. I'll take care of the rest. Paul wraps up this section on the contrary. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And doing this, you're going to heat burning coals on his head. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What do you know? Paul mentions evil one more time. One last opportunity uh, to warn against giving in to evil. He encourages us to remember that evil can be overcome and it can be overcome with good. And so I challenge you this morning to be good to each other. And by the way, being good to each other, that's simply being God to each other. And that is the ultimate message of Romans chapter 12. And actually, it's the message of all of Scripture. That's why it's called good news. Um, we live in an evil world. It's all around us. I have seen it up close and personal, as I'm sure many of you in the room can testify. So as you live into this next chapter, one that God is writing to the power of his Holy Spirit, I want to challenge you as a church, individually and collectively, Revisit this passage again and again and again. I would even challenge you to memorize Romans chapter 12. I would encourage you to speak Romans chapter 12 into situation after situation. And even as Paul begins in the very beginning of that passage, let this chapter transform your mind. And I pray that this church... And beyond here will never be the same. So I'll leave you with a few thoughts. Over the next many weeks, practice taking off your masks. Practice prizing one another. Um, you may be asking, well, how do we do that exactly? Um, Primarily through service. Primarily through service. It's okay to tell one another, I love you and I'm so glad that you're here. It's so good to see you. Don't walk in and sit down. Walk in and look around. Who can I pray with? Who can I affirm? Who can I encourage? It's just being good to one another. Be good to people in your community. 
You really want to shock people? Look around and try to find people doing something right and tell them you appreciate it. It's amazing what difference it will make. And I, I do this all the time. I'm in airports all the time. I see somebody doing something nice. I walk up to them and say, hey, that was really cool what you just did. There was a dad who was with his young son not too long ago, and his young son was all over the place, all over the place. And this dad was just so kind and gentle and loving and encouraging. And I said, hey, you're doing a great job as a dad. <laughs> this guy's face just, just lit up. He was like, oh, thanks, man, thanks. Serve each other in your community in as many different ways as you can. Just look for those opportunities, and God's going to give them to you. He'll give them to you. And finally, I would say, as you live into this season of discovery, please just revisit this passage again and again and again. I'm wrapping up my work, as I said, maybe, hopefully, prayerfully in Mesa, and look forward to being back with you in February. If I'm not in the pulpit, I want you to know that I will be meeting with your search team members on Wednesday night. And church, we need your prayers. We need your prayers. We're going to go ahead and invite our praise team to come back up on stage and uh, get ready to sing us out here in just a few moments. I'm going to head out to the lobby out where your little wonderful coffee bar is set up out there and would love to visit with you if you would like to have more conversation about the Word of God or if you have a question this morning about baptism or a Bible study or whatever's on your heart then I'd be happy to have that conversation back there. Or if you just want me to pass along a howdy to somebody up in Aggieland, I'm happy to do that too. Let's stand up together. Let's sing together.